This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm very, very romantic. Okay. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watched season five, episode eight of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, The Party's Over. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Shadow. I can't believe we're on eight already. I know. We're like halfway done with season five almost. Oh my God, season five. That, out of context, that's weird what I just said, but I'm excited. Oh, I about love season, season five so I'm, much. Oh, I'm touching oh. myself to season five. <laughs> oh. Well, that's how we feel. Really like season five. We have a very special announcement, guys. Mark your calendars for Friday, May 13th, because we are doing a very special live stream watch party on our Patreon. Yep. We're doing something a little different this time, trying it out, seeing if people like it. Normally, for our watch parties, we watch an episode of Buffy or Gilmore Girls that we've already seen. But this time, we're going to live stream us watching the two episodes for the podcast for the first time. What? I know. What? It's it's so intimate when we do it. I'm not sure about how I feel letting people in. We'll have to put real clothes on, probably. Yeah, I'm always in pajama pants. I know. One thing to know is we are a little ahead of where we are on the podcast. So we'll be watching season five, episode 12 of both shows that night. That's the Gilmore Girls episode titled Come Home and Buffy titled Checkpoint. Are those good ones? I think the Gilmore one's a decent one. That Checkpoint's a good one. Checkpoint's a real good one. And for this month only, the watch party will be available to all three tiers of our Patreon. Whoa, that means I can watch it. (laughs) You pay for our Patreon? Yes, just the (laughs) lowest tier though. Generally, watch parties are only available to our highest tier, but this month we're letting all three tiers in. (sighs) Gotta put pants on. (laughs) And through the end of June, if you sign up for an annual membership on our Patreon, you can get 15% off, which works out to about two months free. Oh. And this what, also- What, there's more? <laughs> yeah. For those of you who are already Patreons who are like, I want my 15% off, what's up with that? This applies to you as well. If you're already a Patreon subscriber, if you switch over to an annual membership before the end of June, your first year will be reduced by 15%. Special summer deal. This is crazy. None of the only fans I subscribe to ever do this. Um, I meant church groups that I visit. (laughs) (laughs) I think it'll be fun to let people in and watch the show. Yeah, I think so too. This will be interesting. I'm still going to drink wine. Yeah, we're going to drink all the wine. Yeah. We still have to do our TikToks. We might do that after they leave. Oh, they reactions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we might have to pause a bunch because we'll want to process the show and like talk and be able to listen. But we always pretty much rewatch it anyway later, so... We'll probably do like a pause in the middle because we won't be able to keep up with the chat. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll do some pauses. But please mark your calendars and come. It's, it's this Friday. I'm excited. Me too. I don't know if you guys have been watching our TikToks, but Stacy and I like to have some wine when we're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Gilmore Girls. It's true. We'll be drinking wine at the watch party coming up. 
And we get all of our wine through wink.com. If you're not familiar with it, it's a website where they have you fill out a form of like things that you like to eat. And from that information, they can tell you what wines they think your palate would appreciate the most. And then they send you those wines once a month of different types and you try them out and they're great. We love a bunch of them. You can also choose your own. You don't have to follow the little survey. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, and you can get as many as you want or you can skip a month if you want. If you use our promo code Gilmore Slayer when you check out, you can get your first shipment of wine for $29.95. That's right. Four bottles. And you can get to that deal by clicking on the link in our episode description or social media bios. They're good wines. They are good. And do be sure to use promo code Gilmore Slayer at checkout. All right, Brian. Should we talk about these? Let's do it. Do you know which one's better already? Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. Interesting. I'm excited to see which one you think is obvious. Mm-hmm. I think I've decided. You've decided? Yeah, but okay. I'm not going to say it yet, and we should talk it out and see if we change our minds. Okay. Why don't we just not review these episodes? We'll just say which one's our favorite is, and then we'll it'll be a really short podcast. Save a lot of time. I don't think people would like that at all. I think people only are like, get to the part where you say which is better. I don't care about all of this talking about the episode stuff. I, I have to disagree with you. Okay, fine. Disagree with me, okay? Let us know which part you like. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, this week we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us all about The Party's Over. So this episode is about Richard and Emily coming together to lie to Rory. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, and Rory, um, I don't know, maybe discovering some stuff about herself and her boyfriend. I don't know. Their mutual hatred of the common man is really bringing them together. Yes, yes. Blue collar. Oh, we have to fight it. So the episode opens with the girls having Friday night drinks with Richard at the pool house when Emily appears very angry. She doesn't like that Richard has provided large steak appetizers because she thinks that the girls won't be hungry for her dinner. So Richard, in her mind, is ruining her dinner. But I want to ask Emily, like, have you met these girls? Like, they can eat all the... They're always eating. It's true. But they do get a little full. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Emily leaves by yelling at the girls like they're in trouble. She's like, you two better be hungry when you get inside or else. <laughs> and then at dinner, they're like kind of picking at their carrots and she's like forcing them to eat a bunch of chickens. <laughs> yeah, and there's still a fish course to come. Yeah, and she almost seems like ex- like happy that she's like making them eat even though they're full. Yeah. By the way, Lorelai lies to Emily in this scene about not knowing that Rory has a new boyfriend because Rory gets a phone call from Dean. But then Rory tells the truth to Emily that she's got a boyfriend. And I thought this was interesting because then Emily knows she was being lied to by Lorelai. And I feel like this cycle just like happens over and over again. Emily is always suspicious that Lorelai is lying to her about something. So she like pries and spies trying to figure out what it is, which is exactly why Lorelai doesn't like telling her mom any of these things. But then Emily always finds out that Lorelai did lie about something, justifying to Emily her actions that are no way Lorelai. So it's sort of like, you can't win. Cause I know. Might as well just tell It's like with Jason. She like hid it from her mother, and then it blew up in their face. It's just like, just tell her. Emily's like a bit of a villain for sure in the show, but like, she does lie to Emily all the time. So it's like, yeah, Emily, don't trust your daughter, because she's probably lying to you. We just went over how she should have told her about Luke because Luke's supposedly not a passing ship. Right. So I wonder if Lorelai's kind of hoping Dean is a passing ship. So it's just like not worth telling her. Maybe. That could be true. That's not anything that's explicitly laid out by the show, but. I felt it was more like she was just like, oh, Emily's going to pry into Dean. And also they don't like Dean, which she's right about. Yeah. And also there's the whole affair angle, which I figured that maybe she was afraid her parents would catch on to. 
if she they found out about Dean because I imagine they would not be excited about Rory breaking up marriage. Yeah, that makes that super messy. So maybe Lorelai's kind of just like, it's Rory's business if she wants to tell it. But she kind of almost seems disappointed when Rory tells. Yeah, and I, I, I said Rory break up a marriage. Obviously, Dean broke up the marriage too. They both, they both broke up that marriage. Anyway, at Luke's, Luke's sister Liz and her husband TJ are in Stars Hollow debating whether or not they want to move there during the winter season. Luke is pretty um, vocally against this. Luke isn't one to like not share his feelings <laughs> about this kind of stuff. Lorelai's in the diner and she's like, oh, you'll love living close to your family. He's like, yeah, I've seen how much you love it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about? Apparently TJ's gotten taller. Yeah, Liz mentions, he's like, how's TJ? Oh, he's gotten taller. Okay. <laughs> While they're there, Liz mentions that Luke makes an amazing gumbo and lasagna and paella and like amazing Mexican food. Lorelai is surprised. She's like, you never told me all this, but I'm like, why are you, he runs a diner. He makes food for you all the time. Why are you surprised he makes like gumbo? But while they're there, Lorelai makes a joke a few times, suggesting that Luke wears like a Mountie hat during their sex capades. It's pretty funny. Luke hates it. It's always funny how uncomfortable Luke gets with like any mention of like public displays of affection. <laughs> Luke agrees to make her some of his fabulous exotic foods if she just stops making Mountie hat jokes. And she agrees and then sort of just stares at him and he's like, he just pictured me in the hat. She's like, uh-huh. <laughs> I thought that was cute. I feel like sometimes Lorelai's flirting is annoying, but I feel like she and Luke flirt, and I like it. I feel like it works. Yeah, I agree. As Lorelai's leaving, Kian, the Korean foreign exchange student living with Mrs. Kim, or Lane 2, as I refer to her, enters. And Lane immediately starts yelling at her that she can't post her religious flyers in here, yada, yada, yada. But then the poor girl is just like, I'm I'm hungry. It's flaxseed muffin month at Mrs. Kim's. She's having trouble lifting her toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But also, flaxseed muffin, is it just you get muffins for every meal? It seemed that way almost. Yeah. Or at least a couple times a day. Yeah. Lane grabs her some fries, and she's reluctant to eat the fries because Mrs. Kim has told her that they're the devil's starchy fingers. They're a gateway food to harder foods, like movie popcorn. But she can't resist them once Lane, like, puts them in front of her nose, and instantly she's hooked. So maybe it is a gateway food because she's coming back to the diner throughout the episode for more food. Fries are... Good. Fries are good. This has been a commercial for fries. If you want to get fries, uh, go to fries.com. We have a special promo with them. Fries.com. Available wherever you buy fries. Wait, honey, I love you and I want to yes and you, but I just what you said made no sense at all. It's a website. Last wherever time you did a commercial for fries. Postmates where you made up <laughs> whatever the fuck you wanted. Listen, we're a website. You can only access us from places that sell fries though. And everything you say makes sense all the time. Everything I've said is, is honest, is amazing, the things I say. You said second base was sharing shoes. <laughs> okay, maybe you have a point. Maybe, okay, sure. I said one stupid thing one time. Fries.com. <laughs> so yeah, she's a regular at Luke's during flaxseed muffin month at least. But while she's there, she happens to notice Zach come in and hug Lane for like 30 seconds, which is a sin, I think. And she reports that back to Mrs. Kim. A little later, Zach is like trying to read a guitar magazine at like a magazine stand. He's trying to read it for free, by the way, without buying it. And the guy's all like, yeah, you can't, you got to buy it. And Zach's all like, that's a stupid business model. When Mrs. Kim confronts him and just like loses her shit. She's like, you dirty, filthy devil boy. You will burn in hellfire and swim in the sludge with Satan's hell dogs. A lot of pig stuff. Yeah, she's like, Lane's an innocent girl and you're a wild pig of filth. You're a pig who walks upright. (laughs) 
Poor Zach, and I mean that because he has no money. Poor Zach is just shaking his head, confused, open mouth, no idea what's going on. She's really going for an Oscar in this scene. Yeah, he's just so like, is this about the magazine? <laughs> Super funny. <laughs> that night, Zach tells Lane about it. He is like freaked out. He hates this. He says at some point that he needs to go like walk by a church. He feels cursed. Weirdly, he says that all this hell and hellhound talk isn't rock and roll. And I'm like, isn't it though? Isn't it like really rock and roll? Anyway. Zach specifically says he's like not a meet the parents type guy. Yeah. He's like a run out the window kind of guy. Yeah. Jump jump out? Slide out? I don't know. I'm usually the one letting guys in the window. (laughs) You don't know how they get out. It is kind of cute in the scene how worried uh, Zach is about the hellhound specifically. Mm Mm-hmm. So Lane goes to her mom's house to yell at Keon for ratting her out, but Keon only did it because she seems to think that Mrs. Kim has some sort of like semi-omniscience and like she would just know about this or know that she didn't tell. Keon opens by saying that Mrs. Kim's gone because Mrs. Cho thinks she lost her faith and Mrs. Kim went to go give it back to her. Yeah, that was funny. What does that entail? It sounds like yelling more at her. You're gonna swim with Satan's swine. But when Lane hears that, Keon, like, assumes that Mrs. Kim's gonna know, like, everything that happened. Like, almost feels like she can read her mind. Lane, like, kind of has a connection with Keon here. I feel like she relates. She's like, oh, yeah, I used to feel this way, too. But turns out you can, like, watch TV when she's not here and she won't know what you were watching. And she says a lot of stuff. Like, she can't tell how many times you opened your Bible by how your palms look. Yeah, or she, like, lied and so there's a machine in the TV that can see what you watched. It's pretty funny. Keon's like, what? My head is spinning. Like, it's too much for her. So Lane's basically going to, like, pass on her knowledge of dodging Mrs. Kim, right? Yeah. This doesn't solve the problem of Mrs. Kim hating Zach. Yeah, that's true. Lane's like, don't worry, Zach, I'll fix it tonight. This will never happen again. But, like, she needs to talk to her mom. Yeah. Just because this girl's not going to spy on her anymore doesn't mean her mom's going to like Zach. And also, you got to call Buffy to figure out how to call off hellhounds. Mm-hmm. They're not that hard to kill. No. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Zach is safe because he's never going to put on, like, formal suits. So he's going to be fine. Well. Uh-oh. By the way, that was a deep cut to the prom episode of Buffy where the hellhounds were trained to kill people wearing formal attire. These people are deep cutters. They know. They know. Later in the episode, Liz and TJ walk into Luke's super happy. They announced that they bought a house, the first house they looked at. Luke is annoyed because they were super impulsive and they didn't have anyone even inspect the house. And of course, the house has like a million problems. TJ keeps insisting it's great, but he's like, it's air conditioning ready, landscape ready, alarm ready, and it's got three bedrooms if you add two. I don't know what that last line even means. Luke's like, it's got a roof, right? And he's like, yeah, and as soon as we replace it, it won't leak as much. TJ's just over the moon, and he just keeps excitedly proclaiming that he's in escrow. And he says it like that, (laughs) escrow. It's like it's Eskimo, but it's really funny. He's walking around the diner just like high-fiving people like, I'm in escrow. High-five, high-five. That night, Lorelai comes over for their date, all that special food that Luke's making her, and she shows up wearing, over her clothes, a sexy maid costume. Did she bring that as a joke because of the Mountie hat bit? Yeah. Or is she just planning on wearing it later? I, I think it was a joke. I need to know. On, I, I mean, need, maybe I to, she would have popped it on if he wanted her to. I mean, she brought it. She owns it. Yeah. Or she bought it today. It's true. Miss Patty was just like, I've been waiting to give this to you. <laughs> I mean, she used to be a maid. But this is not a, an actual maid's costume, though. I mean, we don't know what happened at the Independence Inn in the 80s. 
Luke is cooking all kinds of crazy shit. He's got lamb and artichoke stew, penne with pasta and potatoes, rosemary, garlic, focaccia, tomatoes stuffed with breadcrumbs and goat cheese, and ricotta cheesecake with amaretto cookies and coffee and wine. Jesus Christ, this, he, she better be putting that maid outfit on. <laughs> <laughs> he earned it? Yeah. Is pasta with potatoes a thing? It sounds gross to me, but the I... The potatoes was in the pasta. That, I was like, there's so much food, but it did seem like all different courses. But that part specifically was like, you don't put potatoes in pasta. Maybe I'm wrong. It's a lot of starch. Yeah. This is probably enough food for Lorelai to be full for about an hour. Uh, yeah. She did bring two candles and a CD, so that was nice. <laughs> Just when the date starts, someone's at the door. It's TJ, and he is freaking out. He's like, I shouldn't have got married. I was warned about it, and I was told how women make you crazy. Then he, like, nicely says hi to Lorelai, and Lorelai's like, hi, TJ. They never really get into what their fight was about, other than... He didn't hear her ask for a beer or something? Yeah, yeah, and then something about programmed channel buttons. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty funny that we don't know, because the, mm-hmm. it was like, what was it about? Because he keeps yelling, like, that's what the presets are for. <laughs> like, what? It kind of just sounds like it's the first time they've had a real fight, <laughs> He yeah. doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah, he and Liz are having a huge fight, and he just left. And he's he's not doing well. Like, he's very upset. He, honestly, he's like a child. Yeah, it, his behavior is kind of crazy. But there's some funny lines. Oh, there's a lot of funny lines. Luke is like, look at the candles and the food. This is not a good time. Like, I'm on a romantic date. <laughs> TJ's like, you're telling me I'm an escrow. <laughs> and now escrow has become, <laughs> it's become a sad thing. Later, Lorelai says, you, do you need anything? He's like, no, but I really appreciate it. You know, me being an escrow and everything. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Luke was like, Lorelai, please stir the food while I deal with this. And she's like, I can't do that. I don't know how to cook. She's so bad at cooking, she doesn't even know how to stir stew. I pointed this out to you. It does kind of make sense that she would not have any idea how to cook. Because she grew up with people cooking for her. And then she moved to the inn where she probably just ate there. Yeah. Whatever was in the kitchen. And then, I don't know, she kind of just stayed there. And Suki cooks for her for lunch and like she just got takeout for dinner. You know, she like Mm -hmm. hasn't really ever had to cook for herself. I agree that I could see how she wouldn't know how to make almost anything. But I feel like stirring and be like, okay, I can stir. Yeah. A little bit of it is like, okay, Lorelai, you can't figure this out. But part of me is like, maybe she would have no idea. I mean, I guess the thing is that she was afraid she was going to ruin it by not doing it. Yeah, I can see that. That that would be a real fear of mine. Yeah. I just, I want to make it clear I know how to stir, though. You do. I can tell you the truth. She does know how to stir. Thank you. TJ just sits on the bed for the rest of their date, just crying and moping right behind Luke. He keeps saying that he'll leave as soon as he's got himself together, but then goes from just like, I just need 30 more seconds. That should be good to like 10 more minutes. (laughs) It was a really funny shot where it shows them on their date, like enjoying the food, and then it like kind of pans yeah. over to reveal TJ still sitting behind Luke. Eventually, Liz shows up, and she's all like, TJ, you just like, I went to the bathroom, and you just took off, and she points out that he's wearing her shoes, and he's all like, oh, so the what's mine is yours, does it mean anything? And she's like, you're unbelievable, did you know that? And he's like, I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that. Like, he's trying to defy her, but it just makes him sound dumb. So she goes in the bedroom and locks herself in there. The whole time, Luke's like, please just go downstairs. Which I don't understand why he couldn't have said to TJ, like, can you just wait downstairs, please? And then TJ's like, I need another 10 minutes. I gotta start from scratch. I'm getting myself ready. I think Luke does suggest he wait downstairs at some point. 
He does say that to both of them. Like, could you both go downstairs and work this out? But I don't know why he didn't say that to TJ earlier. I'm assuming the diner is open, so they probably can't, like, do exactly what they're doing in the middle of the diner. So Lorelai and Luke decide that they're going to call it a night. Luke's like, I'll deal with this. This is my family. You can go home. She's like, you sure? They kiss. And and I have to say, I feel like their flirting was really fun this whole episode. And there's a part where she's kind of making fun of him when he's cooking. And I really liked it because, like, I feel like a lot of times Luke doesn't take jokes at his expense very well. But I feel like he was laughing at these anyway. She was like, you finally are, like, outdid Kelsey Grammer. And he's like, huh, I finally upped Grammer. And that was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. But the date's ruined. But they're going to try again tomorrow. I don't really get... We we talked about this a little when we watched it, but, like... They could just go to her house. It's not like Luke needs to be there to make sure they don't set the place on fire. Like Luke right. could leave and just let them fight in his apartment and go have sex at her place. Or she could just stay and hang out. Like, does she have to go do something? Like, I wouldn't mind necessarily sitting and talking to you while you're waiting for your sister and her husband to stop fighting. Well, I mean, he does have a bunch of food that's there. So it's maybe not easy to like pack that all up and go to her house. Well, I think they already ate, though, because she said dinner was great. Yeah. He's like sends her home with cheesecake. So dinner's done. What is they, they could either go to her house for the rest of the date or she could just hang out there and they watch a movie. That's true. I feel like a lot of times it's sort of like, why don't you just go to Lorelai's house? Specifically when Rory and Dean are hanging out. I'm always like, just go to your mom's house. Yeah. Speaking of Rory. There's a whole part about her. Yeah, she's in this episode, believe it or not. I didn't think she was, but she is. At Yale, Rory and Paris are having lunch, but Paris is not really listening because she is convinced that all of the older faculty at Yale are lusting after her ever since learning about her and Asher. It's a pretty funny scene because the men are all very, very, very old and very much not looking at her at all. <laughs> like she at some point has to get up because this one guy is just like too lustful for her. And it's like this dude with like a walker coming in. <laughs> yeah, it's like the oldest man. Yeah. None of these guys are the level of Silver Fox that was Asher Fleming. They're also not even looking at her. They're just no. like talking to themselves. Richard and Emily both call Rory. They're on the speakerphone. They're very chipper. They tell her they have to cancel Friday night dinner because they forgot that they were going to have a Yale alumni party on Friday. And also they'd really, really, really love it if Rory came. And so far as Emily's like, please, please come. Emily and Richard both sort of reference their like tiff from the previous Friday night dinner. Emily says, there won't be any chicken. And Richard's like, and there won't be any steak on a stick appetizers. And then they laugh and laugh in unison (laughs) like psychopaths. (laughs) So funny. So fake. Later, Rory calls her mom and Lorelai warns her that Emily and Richard are manipulating her for some purpose. This isn't what they say it is. Rory suggests that she does know that. She knows that this isn't all above water. But she's more excited by the fact that they called together and are throwing this party together and we're getting along on the phone. So in Rory's head, it's like, okay, I know you're trying to trick me into something, but it's for the greater good because you guys are getting along. Right. Which I want to point out, like, the Rory character has done a bunch of selfish stuff, but I feel like at the end of the day, Rory does try to do what's best for people that she loves. You see that with her grandparents a lot. I feel like she wants them to be happy. Mm -hmm. So far. Afterwards, Rory and Dean meet for a date during his break at Dosi's supermarket in the break room. Honestly, does Dean like literally have no free time? Like, is he never not working? We actually have a question for you guys. How does divorce and money work? Like, does Dean owe her money? That's when, Why is he still working three jobs? If he's not working to pay for a townhouse anymore and he's living with his parents, he might be saving for a car. He might be saving for school. I did think about this. It's possible he's still paying his half a rent for the place Lindsay's living. Yeah, that could be. Or I'm also thinking like since he cheated on her, if they like had a lawyer for the divorce, 
he might owe her some stuff. Like maybe he's paying for the full apartment. I feel like they weren't living together long enough for him to owe her like quality of life stuff. I don't know. Since he was like fully supporting her, maybe he does owe her, but like she's capable of working and I don't think she's in school. I just don't know what the rules tend to be with this kind of stuff. Well, it's one of those things where like if he hadn't been supporting her, she wouldn't have invested so much time and energy into figuring out how to make roasts. So she could have been using that time to educate herself. Yeah, so it's all his fault. Yeah. It's all his fault. Also, what is his third job? He always says three, but I think I think we've only seen two. Anyway, what does he need to work so much now that he's living with his parents? No, wait, he's living with Kyle. That's true. So yeah, maybe he's paying rent at Kyle's. Yeah. I don't know. Since he's not saving for a townhouse anymore, that at least saves some money. Uh, but this date is clearly like really sad. They're sitting there and he's got a nice array of options to eat, just several different bruised and expired foods from Dosie's Market that he got cheap. It's what the ladies love. And they're sitting there, and they're sad, I feel like. Well, they're not necessarily sad. I don't know. I feel like Rory's trying to make the best of it, and so is Dean, but it just it just feels like this is not pleasant. Yeah, I feel like this part of it doesn't make Rory sad. Yes, I agree. The rest might. She asks Dean if he read her article, and he said he did, and he liked it because everything she writes is perfect and good. But when she asks for his specific thoughts and criticisms of his article, he can't think of anything. We talked about this a little bit. I don't think we're meant to believe that Dean didn't read the article. No, I think he read it. I don't think he has the vocabulary to talk about it. Yeah, I just don't think he's particularly smart and he doesn't have the level of education needed to like appreciate the nuance of her writing. So, you know, he doesn't know what to say. It's like if my dad, who I love, reads some of my comedy, I feel like he doesn't really understand it. I feel like he could have commented on the event she experienced, though. I'm surprised he didn't notice all the similes she was using. (laughs) Unless they've like already just talked about the event, but she kind of wasn't supposed to talk about that. So I don't know. I'm sure she told Dean about it, though. I mean, she may not have used names, but I'm sure she talked about the event with him. Dean mentions that, you know, they haven't been able to find a lot of time together. And Rory tells him that they can see a movie that night after her grandparents alumni party. He says, and this is important, that he doesn't want her to leave early because of him. But she insists that she wants to do this for Dean and she will be leaving at 8.30. Cut to the party. Emily is bossing around the help in classic Emily fashion. She has like two of them pull some chairs apart so people can walk between them, but then they move them too far apart. And she's all like, good God, if someone needs that much space, they shouldn't be at a party. They should be on a treadmill. Emily is stone cold. She's so mean. It was so funny. Like, what a dumb detail to be obsessing over. How far apart the chairs are. But it doesn't end there either. Like, when Rory comes in, she, like, demands that the staff look at her. Rory comes in. She's like, you're beautiful. Look how beautiful she is. And then she's like, I said look how beautiful she is. (laughs) Emily talks her into going upstairs and seeing her hairdresser just to do, you know, just a little something. But then Emily, her hairdresser, and her makeup artist just start gussying up Rory. Like, hardcore. They put a diamond necklace and diamond earrings on her. They put a ton of makeup on her and a tiara. Honestly, she looks fantastic. Yeah. She's got like a Breakfast at Tiffany's vibe going, and it looks great. It does seem a bit much for this event. Like a crown is a lot. Yeah, like a tiara, it's like you are the star right now, I feel. Yes. The necklace was fine, I think. Yeah, the necklace is probably more than Rory would normally wear, but like it's not crazy that she would wear that. By the way, the earring part... Emily gets some earrings out and she's like, Richard got these for me. He swore he bought them off the 'er ne'er-do-well brother of the king of Denmark who stole them from the queen. Have you ever heard such a thing? Rory's all like, 
No. <laughs> I know. It was a really funny way she said no. 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 <laughs> when Richard sees Rory, he compliments Emily on her work. Like, great job. The two of them seem to be really getting along, at least for the party. But then they start introducing Rory to all their alumni friends and their sons specifically. And I want to point out that not, all these people have the weirdest names. Mm-hmm. And they just get progressively weirder. The first couple they meet, Min and Argus, they have a son named Andrew. And Andrew is like the only name that's going to be normal from now on. Andrew is the most normal name. Then it's Tiana and Shice. It's The, the captions, captions say, say Chase, Chase, but, but I heard Shy. Yeah, it's like Shice, Shice, or something like that. And their son, Donan? Yeah, Donan or Donan. Then Bunny and Napoleon and their kid, Kip. <laughs> Rory at some point notices that there's no daughters here and she calls Richard and Emily on it and they both very poorly act like they hadn't noticed. This must be some sort of oversight. Emily even goes so far as to say, you know, one day we'll throw a party that's just the girls. Richard and Emily are such bad actors here. Like the actors are so good at this moment when they like pretend they didn't know that none of these people had daughters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The actors are good. The characters are bad at acting. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny dialogue. Like Emily's all like, oh, I guess I'll have to pay more attention to the guest list next time. And Richard's like, oh, I guess you will, Emily. (laughs) But it's clear to everybody this is just some sort of like matchmaking endeavor. And that's especially strange because Richard and Emily know that she's with Dean. Rory sneaks off to call her mom, and Lorelai is pissed. So Lorelai gets out the phone and calls the house to get a hold of Emily and Richard. But then a maid answers the phone, and the maid doesn't speak any English, and she won't give the phone to anyone else. This bothered me at first, because I was just thinking that if you're working in a home and you don't speak English, then you probably shouldn't answer the phone. Why would you answer the phone? Like, Because you're not going to be able to communicate with whoever's calling this rich white woman. But then, towards the end of the episode... Lorelai suggests like, oh, I bet my mother put you up to this, which is like, oh, okay, this woman is faking this. Or Emily said, whoever calls, just act like you don't, just don't speak any English to them. It's very subtle too, because at the end she reveals she can speak English. It is the same woman, but you don't see her much in that last shot. Yeah. Is it the same one? I think so. Because I later... I she's wearing Lorelai's... the same outfit, and I think it looks like the same woman. She's like walking away when we see her in the final scene, when she does speak English. When Lorelai calls again, I thought she said it. Finally, someone speaks English, but maybe it's the right. same Right, but I think it's the same woman that, since the party's over, can drop the act. So there's no one to stop this madness. And Rory is back at the party, having dudes try to hit on her. Some guys don't care. There's like a group of dudes talking about cars that have no interest in talking to Rory, actually. They also just don't even notice how incredibly bored she looks. She's yeah. just standing there blank. These, by the way, are all, like, not they're not just, like, Richard's friends' kids, but they're all, like, well-to-do kids who have a future. Like, they're going to planning on taking over their father's shipping business or they're going to law school. Like, these are potential mates that they think would be good for the Gilmore name going forward. At some point, some sleazy rich kid starts flirting with Rory. His name's Jordan, which is weird because in this place, that stands out. Normal name. It seems normal. Maybe this guy will be fine. Well, he's all like, how old are you? 20? Cool. You want a drink? And then she's like, no, I don't want a drink. And she's like, what, you get too crazy? And she's like, yeah, that's it. And he's like, well, I'd like to see that. And you're like, what the- it's clear this guy thinks he's smooth, though. I- yeah, he had a good opening line. He's like, your grandma sent me over. Apparently we were made for each other. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's what Rory wants to hear in this moment because she knows what's up. This guy definitely hangs out with, like, Graham, the guy that Emily introduced Rory to at her dorm who, like, covered for her when she was drinking Funky Monkey. Oh, yeah. 
I bet if we went back, he's in that scene. Yeah, he's like, I'm a nice guy. No, I'm not. I'm a douche. Rory's uncomfortable, not just with this guy, although definitely with this guy, but with the whole like feeling like she's being auctioned off situation. But as this guy's talking to her, a hero emerges. <laughs> Logan shows up. Remember Logan from the last episode? Logan shows up, puts his arm around Rory and pretends to be her boyfriend, scaring off the slimeball Jordan. Rory plays along and is appreciative of him for saving her. But Logan's not alone. He's brought all of his buds. Even Finn's there. Finn, by the way, we at this point know Finn's just like a straight up alcoholic, right? At least for now. Yeah, that's his college jam. I mean, I hesitate to say alcoholic because it's played for laughs. So he's at least just enjoys a lot of booze. And they've set that up like the sun was too bright in a previous episode. And this one, he's like, do I know you? Wasn't he the one that was looking for a girl that he didn't remember from the night before? When right. Logan Exactly. And he barely remembers Rory, even though he's met Rory multiple times. Mm -hmm. But also Richard shows up and it turns out he knows Logan. And Richard says to Rory, like, I can see you're in good hands. So I'm going to make my rounds around the party. Clearly communicating to us that this is the type of mate. Logan is the type of person that Richard would approve of that he would like Rory to date. Yes. I feel like if he were not a good match, Richard would try to move Rory on to somebody Mm -hmm. else. Um, there's a weird line where Logan reveals to Rory that he knows her grandparents. She said something about, my mom's enjoying your grandmother's drapes. And she's like, my grandmother? As if, like, Logan wouldn't have known this was Rory's grandparents' house? You'd think they would have told Logan, we're going to the Gilmore's house, and he knows Rory's last name. Yeah, it's, it is weird. I, I thought that line was weird. I was like, what am I missing? I know, I, I watched it a couple times trying to figure that out. I'm like, it makes sense that he would know this is your grandparents' house. Absolutely. Regardless if he knew you'd be here for auction or not. Logan tells Rory that the only way to deal with these types of boring parties is to make sub-parties. So he calls over his boys and they decide to get drunk. In the pool house. In the pool house. Uh, So they're drinking, and honestly, it looks like they're having fun, Rory included. She seems drunk. She's laughing. Uh, I think it's important to know that they steal some of Richard or Emily's nicer alcohol. And Logan makes a point of telling everyone to make sure they top it off because he doesn't want Ace, that's his reporter nickname for Rory, to get in trouble. I think that's supposed to let us know that he actually cares about her. I'm confused by why they're stealing alcohol, though, because there was alcohol at the party. I guess they're under 21, so like... Maybe they wouldn't have been able to get alcohol if they were drinking at the party. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, that was weird too. Then Logan mentions that he read her article and he liked it. She's like, there's nothing else to say about it. But then he's like, well, there are maybe too many similes for my taste. But then he goes on to be like, but it was really, really good. And I think him finding a critique here isn't to show us that he's an asshole or that he's negging her. But I think she was looking for a critique because that shows he was able to like actually understand and digest all of the stuff she wrote. Right. I mean, it's it's very different than Dean just being like, Rory did it, so it perfect, you know? <laughs> yeah, he like used words to describe it. <laughs> he could prove he read it. Yeah, exactly. Rory mentions that she has a boyfriend and Logan is like, you have a boyfriend? And he says, why are Richard and Emily, like, doing all this if you've got a boyfriend? That's when Rory realizes that she was supposed to meet Dean outside 15 minutes ago. So Rory runs outside. She's got a gaggle of rich, drunk boys giggling and yelling behind her. She walks up to Dean. She looks like the cover of the Princess Diaries. And Dean is uh, not happy about it. He's like, what am I doing here, Rory? I don't belong here. Not anymore. And I was like, yeah, man, get the hell off the show. No one wants you here anymore. Everyone hates your storyline. Dean 
is Riley. You and Riley should have your own spinoff that no one watches. It's called Supernatural. <laughs> yeah. Is Riley in that? I imagine I the other guy's Riley. That's canon now. He leaves the set, not the show. I wish it was the show. He leaves, and Rory is sad. I mean, you haven't seen any more episodes. You don't know that he comes back. That's true. I mean, I, I doubt the next episode. Uh, and it's going to be like Power Rangers, where suddenly the cast is just gone. And they're like, yeah, they left. It's no big deal. Maybe. It's going to be like Kyle's hand. It's just, we write it off the show. Yeah, they write it off the show. So Rory's really sad, but then Logan tells his crew that they got some serious bucking up to do. He puts his arm around her, and they're going to go inside and watch Finn do the Passion of the Christ. Somehow that cheers people up. I don't know what he's going to do, but it's interesting, to say the least. The episode ends with Laura like calling her mom and finally getting through to her after the party. You suggested maybe the maid was the same maid, gave her the phone up. It's not clear to me. It kind of looked like her again. Very brief. Very brief shot. Emily and Richard denied that this was a matchmaking party, but Lorelai's like, come on, we all know you tricked her, let's stop pretending. Also, Rory has a boyfriend, and you know that. And then Richard says, well, she's 20 years old, she's not always going to be with this Dean, and she needs to see her options. He's sure that Dean is a very nice young man, but he stresses that he's not good enough for Rory, and she's not going to be with him forever. Emily goes on to say that they're going to make sure Rory gets the life she deserves. It's too late for Lorelai, but it isn't too late for Rory. Lorelai also says that Rory's going to choose her own path, and there's nothing either of them can do about it. Yes, that's important. Thank you. That's very important. Then they mutually hang up on each other, and then Lorelai notices a very sloshed, happy, laughing Rory being dropped off by a limousine full of rich boys, and we get a shot of Lorelai's face. And it's sort of like, oh, maybe she is going to choose that life. Well, she's going to choose her own path, but maybe not the one Laurel I was thinking. Yeah. I think is what this is implying. Yeah, totally. Oof. Oof. So, Stacy. Yeah. Do you think this is a good episode? I do. Maybe it wasn't like the best one ever, but I think it was good. Yeah. I enjoyed mostly every scene, I believe. It's funny because this one, there's nothing wrong with this format, but it's hard to like review. There's so many quick scenes. It'd be like... We're going to take a break from this party to show you, like, literally ten lines of dialogue from Lane and Zach, and then we're back at the party. (laughs) You're like... Yeah, yeah. TJ was, like, a bit much, but it still was funny. Yeah, he's over the top, but his lines were all super funny. Yeah. I love that we don't know what they're fighting about, and I just love it. Like, that's what the preset's for. I'm, like, trying to piece together this fight Mm -hmm. in my head. Luke and Lorelai's date was cute. Richard and Emily being brought together by this event was kind of cute. They were funny. Their fake laugh was very funny. And then the I got a little emotional towards the end when Rory and Dean had that moment. Like, you feel bad for both of them. Rory didn't necessarily do anything wrong. She lost track of time. That's true. But she wasn't, like, cheating. I don't know. I honestly think, like, Dean was, like, overreacting. Yeah. He did just kind of not give her a chance to explain. Like, she's drunk and she's late. I get being mad at her. Okay, sure. You're, like, peeved because you she made you come out here to pick her up because you said, hey, don't worry about it. We don't have to do this. She's like, no, I'll be there. 830. I promise. And she's not. Okay, you could be peeved, but for him to be like, I don't belong here. Like, what do you mean you don't belong here? Because she's a princess now? I think in that case, we maybe needed a line of dialogue in their backroom date scene where he did address her article. Like, how this, like, fancy, frivolous weekend she went on sounded like some kind of crazy that he wasn't a part of. You know what I mean? Like, Like, a stepping stone between we can't find enough time to spend together and you're turning into a fancy rich lady. Exactly. Because this seems like a fight about her being 50 minutes late. I mean, which is, at the end of the day is a very small fight. Not a who am I in your life now that you had a fancy party without me. 
Yeah, because as far as he knows, it's been Fancy Party and the event from the article, which he maybe doesn't know a ton about. And the event from the article wasn't like Rory being in this rich. She was just observing it. She wasn't mm-hmm. even part of it. I mean, she was at the end, but like it wasn't like I'm going to do this every week. But no, it was there was some good emotional stuff with that last scene. I think there's a lot of um, important things that happened in the last like five minutes. Yeah. And it was very funny. It was. Every Gilmore Girl episode is very funny. And this one was no exception. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 5, Episode 8, A Witch in Time. By continually saving the life of her boyfriend, Phoebe opens up a portal from the future, allowing a warlock to pass into the present on a mission from future Cole. Didn't Phoebe and Cole get married? Well, they did, but at the, you know, at the beginning of this episode, they, they got a divorce okay. for tax reasons. But they're still boyfriend-girlfriend. It's just tax reasons, boo. Wait, they got divorced for tax reasons? They felt they weren't paying enough taxes. <laughs> So they were like, best way to do this, let's get a divorce, stay together, obviously. For tax reasons. Yeah. Is that why we aren't married? Yep. <laughs> it's tax reasons. You're very honorable to the mm-hmm. government. <laughs> I thought we should pay our fair share, and that is best done separately. Okay. Okay. That's very romantic. <laughs> I, I know. It's really, in a way, I'm very, very romantic. Okay. It's for tax reasons, honey. Okay. So this episode... Cole is in jeopardy. There was a, a, a spell cast on him that's going to curse him to kill him within the next uh, week. So she keeps using time travel, just little quick jumps to like go back because he keeps dying and she keeps going back and stopping him from dying. She's just got to make it through the week. It's like final destination. It's just a week long spell. Curse. Yeah. But she does it so many times that she like creates a like a little like a, a thin part between time and space. And this is what allows the warlock to pass through on a mission from future Cole. And this mission is to get them married again. Oh. Yep. That's so nice. Yeah. Because in the future, he's found a way for them to pay their fair share of taxes. He had no idea about deductibles. <laughs> it, it existed. He just didn't yeah, know about he it. He just didn't know about it. He's like, we could just deduct less and we'll be paying more. There's ways, baby. There's ways. But he can't send himself back in time because then you're always worried, like, did my future self bang my past self? You know, you oh, know. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Or, or even just see them. Yeah. <laughs> if you see your future self with a receding hairline, you're like, oh, my God, what? And you don't you don't need that kind of stuff. So he's, he grabs the nearest warlock because in the future, yeah. there's a lot of warlocks. There's like more yeah. warlocks than regulars. Oh, yeah. Tons. And this guy needs the money. He needs the paycheck. So he's like, yeah, I'll go back in the past and talk to your wife. No problem, sir. Well, that's what he sounds like? Yeah, you, you watched the episode. Right. I was watching it with subtitles because I was at church. So he's all like, I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to stop the past. <laughs> you could tell that's how he sounded just from how he looked, right? The subtitles did their best. Uh, it was a lot of THs and SHs. But anyway. He's like, hey, Phoebe, I'm just here to tell you that in the future, you can pay your taxes. Oh, if you want to pay your taxes, and everything going to be okay. You can marry your husband again. Okay, bye. But Phoebe's all like, I don't know what the fuck you just said. <laughs> I'm saving my husband all the time. And then he's like, yeah, exactly, husband. She's like, I meant boyfriend. And he's like, but it could be your husband. <laughs> bye, I got to go back in the future. Got to go back in the future. I got to get that money. So, long story short, the warlock talks to Phoebe and is like, you got to propose to him. That's the only way it's going to work. 
But at the end, he proposes to her. It's like a big surprise. He fakes his own death and she can't go through time. But this was all an elaborate ruse. So she's like freaking out and he like seems dead. And she starts to do CPR on him and then puts her fingers in his mouth to like clear the airway passage and pulls out a wedding ring. He's all like, will you marry me? So romantic. Yeah. Wait, how did Cole know to do this though? He was just, uh, because uh, he overheard the warlock. Right, right. He was presumed dead in the other room, but he overheard yeah. the warlock. Yeah, and the warlock, though, I mean, it's, it's no wonder he heard him, because he was, like, talking to Phoebe, and Phoebe's like, what? And he's like, you gotta get married, so, so it's gotta happen. She's like, what? And he just kept saying it louder and louder, and Cole's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, and the warlock goes back to the future and um, makes some really big investments and does very well for himself. Yeah, although what they don't tell you, which is actually fucked up, is that because he did this that changes the future and a lot of bad stuff ha- like the f- the future cold that sent him back doesn't exist anymore. What do you mean they don't tell you this? The show does it? Yeah, but I mean it's pretty <laughs> clear that that's what would have happened. Okay, that's just something you're assuming? Yeah. Okay, I'll make a note. Anyway, I would say good episode. <laughs> yeah, they're getting better, I think. No mermaids, no unicorns. Just Time traveling tax evasion. Anyway, this has been Meanwhile on Charmed. Guys, because both Buffy and Gilmore Girls celebrate brave, confident women, for this episode, we have partnered with Davy Piper. That's right. Davy Piper is a woman's clothing company that's committed to empowering women and celebrating their unique stories just like our shows. They specialize in ultra-comfortable bras, undies, sleepwear, activewear, and loungewear. And let me tell you, since I've started working from home, whether I'm working or relaxing, loungewear is pretty much all I'm rocking. I got myself a pair of the Everyday Lounge Joggers, super soft, super lightweight, perfect for sitting back with a glass of wine to watch a show or sitting at my desk to edit the podcast. They are soft, and Davy Piper's products feature premium, super soft fabrics like bamboo and organic cotton. I also got the Grace Ribbed Wire-Free Lounge Bra. You were immediately drawn to that, weren't you? I was. You know, because it was soft and because it empowers you. It does. That's why I liked it. And Davy Piper caters to hard-to-fit sizes, including special busty sizing for E through I cups. For flattering classic styles with a modern twist, visit DavyPiper.com. And don't forget to use the discount code GILMORESLAYER to save 20% on your purchase. Buffy and the Gilmore Girls would. Well, I'm going to talk about Buffy because season five is starting to heat up. Stacy, please tell us about Shadow. So Shadow is about Joyce finally figuring out what's wrong with her and about the big bad of the season making a fruitless attempt to find the key. That's it. Riley's still just around being sad. This episode picks up like the morning after the previous one. So as Joyce said at the end of the last episode, she's gone to the hospital to get a CAT scan. Dawn and Buffy are anxiously awaiting outside, enjoying some generic cola. At the magic box, Giles is revealing his new ad for the shop in the new phone book, a nonsense sentence to any of our listeners under 20. (laughs) And Xander walks in, all upset about Riley's decision to go ahead and kill all the vampires without them. Remember, Riley and the gang were tasked with patrolling and found a den of vampires, and Riley said they should come back and kill it in the morning, but Riley went on a solo grenade mission later that night? Oh, I remember. Xander thinks this is reckless. He refers to him as Captain America, which is a good, it's a good one. Anya mentioned she's happy they didn't have to go because she didn't want to start her day with a slaughter, which really just goes to show how much she's grown, she said. (laughs) They're still trying to figure out the deal with the new big bad, but since they have almost zero information, it's not going great. Xander's like, well, she's probably hanging out in some sewer or other rat-infested place like the Yuge. 
Cut to Big Bad, whose name we finally learn in this episode, living a life of luxury. She's just gotten a whole shoe shipment and a very complimentary self-deprecating little manservant named Dreg. He also reveals her name to be Glorificus. I knew there'd be somebody named Glorificus because of the game. Or at least a mansion named Glorificus. Yeah, just to be clear what she means by that, if you didn't know, we have a board game and one of the places you can go is Glorificus's mansion, which I did not notice before we started playing that that is a spoiler. Yeah, but I thought it was like a fiery demon that lives there and it's not, it's her. Maybe she's a fire demon, we don't know. But she requested just be called Glory, so I shall now refer to her as Glory because that's what she wants. He's like, cool, I love that. Please do me the honor of ripping out my tongue. <laughs> He's just like very in awe of her. He keeps yeah. reminding us she's much higher status than he. Very verbosely complimenting every part of her always. Yeah. Does he stick around? Couldn't tell you. I feel like yes. He's got a fun bit. She kicks off one of her new shoes at some point, hitting him in the head, and he says, thank you. <laughs> like obsessed with her. But he's here to present her with some sort of lost, dark incantation spell. He assures her the spell will work, provided she has the other items she needs. And she's like, oh, don't worry, I will. And she rips the magic box ad out of the phone book. I thought that was kind of silly. It is, because it implies that she's going to, like, go kill Giles or something. Well, it's just also very, like, we were just talking about the ad, and she sees the ad, I don't know. I was fine with that, but I, it was kind of a misdirect that she was just going to go buy stuff from the shop. <laughs> she wasn't. Right. It seemed more ominous than it needed to be. Right. A little later, they're still having no luck finding out anything about her at the magic shop. Tara pitches the idea that maybe she's so old she predates language in all of their books. If that's true, they have no way to predict her moves or where she'll turn up next. But then Giles turns around and she's there. <laughs> yep. Of course, he doesn't know that. No, they don't, they don't know this is her. But she has two items she'd like to purchase. She's not at all charming, yet he seems very charmed by her. But when she walks out, Giles is like, yeah, could be anywhere. Yeah. A little later, Anya's going through the receipts and gets very upset when she realizes that Giles basically sold someone the ingredients to make a bomb or meth or something. It's like two things that should definitely never be sold together. Something about an ancient Egyptian cult and a transmogrification conduit. Giles is like, chill. Those spells were lost thousands of years ago, and the young woman I sold them to would have to have enormous power to use them. And he stops himself because he realizes he said young woman. He remembers the lady he was charmed by. Mm -hmm. And Buffy has made it clear that this woman seems to have enormous power. Yes, yes. Riley stops by Buffy's house. No one appears to be home, but the door appears to be open a crack. And there appears to be a cloak at the front door. And someone appears to be sniffing Buffy's clothes. Who could that be? It's Spike. Spike's there. He's sniffing Buffy's sweaters. Riley's like, what are you doing here? He's honestly weirdly chill about this for the most part. He is way too chill about it. <laughs> he calls him out on sniffing Buffy's sweaters. Spike's like, yeah, it's a predator thing. Nothing weird about it. You gotta know the scent when you're hunting. That is such a fucking funny line, though. Can we talk about how funny that line is? Yeah. <laughs> He's sniffing her clothes. He's like, it's a predator thing. Nothing weird. <laughs> I want to kill Buffy. And so <laughs> I'm sniffing her clothes, man. It's not a weird, just chill out. I want to kill Buffy. That's it. And then he like pantomimes doing it more really aggressively. I feel like Mark Blocus is trying not to break. But he finally grabs him to kick him out of the house. On his way out, Spike nabs some loose panties. But before he throws him out, Spike's like, I know for a fact she wouldn't mind me being here because we hung out for drinks last night. And also, twice recently, Willow and Tara have done the vampire de-invite spell, but I still seem to be invited in, baby. I'm not sure how he knows that. Like, obviously, he knew he could get in when he tried and it worked, but how did he know they did the spell? 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe Harmony told him that she tried to go back or something. Oh, sure. It doesn't make sense that they don't just uninvite him from all their homes. Yeah. Like, let's say his chip is for sure permanent. He's just annoying. And he can still walk in and, like, steal your underwear or set your house on fire. Yeah, or, like, go in and, like, help somebody else in or, like, yeah, set a fire. Steal your beer. Yeah, I mean, he might get the chip out somehow. Yeah, he tried to. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's just for plot device that he's allowed in. Spike pushes Riley's buttons by telling him that Buffy's just not into boring guys like him. She's into vampires. So Riley, like, grabs Spike by the neck and, like, puts him out into the sun a bit. He's sizzling. Riley's like, shut up. I'm the one who knows what Buffy needs. Spike's like, oh, yeah? That's why you're with her at the hospital right now? But Riley doesn't know about the hospital. <laughs> what? It's just funny that you said he doesn't know about the hospital. Like, What's a hospital? Explain what? it to me. I just go to military and Maggie Fix. <laughs> <laughs> He's been to the hospital. Yeah, I know. Spike goes on to explain that Joyce went in for a CAT scan. He's like, kind of weird and oh no, Buffy told me all about it last night. Weird she told me, not you. And then Riley throws him out of the sun. He starts sizzling, eventually he kicks him in his cloak though. So Riley goes to the hospital. Buffy seems happy to see him. She asks him to sit and wait with Dawn while she goes in to find out about her mom's results. Sounds like they're prepping the OR for her immediately because they found a shadow on her brain and they need to do a biopsy. So while this is happening, Riley and Buffy and Don are all waiting. Riley's being a total sweetie, even though he's probably raging inside that Buffy didn't tell him and told Spike instead. And then the doctor comes out and tells Buffy that Joyce has a brain tumor. Sounds like it started in her brain, hasn't spread anywhere else yet, but it sounds not good. Yeah. They're working on determining if the tumor is operable, yet if it's not, there are some promising treatments. He says that nearly one out of three patients with this condition does just fine. That's, I guess, not like the worst odds, but not something a 20-year-old who's got to raise a whole key tween by herself wants to hear. Yeah. This doctor sucks, man. I think he thinks he just gave Buffy amazing news because he's like, so yeah, there's a very good chance your mom is going to die this season. Good. Yeah. You got that? Had time to process? Great. Now let's get down to the nitty gritty of some very technical insurance stuff and perhaps we can get to the bottom of what caused this. I have a list of questions about your home and the schematics of the town and I'm going to roll my eyes hard if you don't know the answers. Yeah, I know. He's, he doesn't even understand that she's like processing this emotionally. Yeah, she's <laughs> just like, I, I, I don't know. And he looks so upset that <laughs> she doesn't know the answer. Yeah. Beautiful Ben bounces in. He's like, hey, Doc, you suck at this. Can I cut in? He assures Buffy there is truly nothing she can do, and she should give herself a break, leave the hospital until her mom wakes up later. He leaves. Riley comes over and was like, who the hell is that guy? Does he have superpowers? <laughs> Buffy tells Riley she's got to go. She's got to go find some kind of healing spell. He's like, eh, okay. She asks Riley to take Dawn to school and to tell Dawn that they don't know anything yet. But Riley doesn't take Dawn to school. He takes her to watch a carousel go round. I mean, Buffy is being like, she's really leaving Dawn in the dark. And maybe Riley's like, Buffy's not giving Dawn what she needs right now. And so I will. But it's weird that he just decides not to do what Buffy says. Maybe he's mad at Buffy. I don't know. Yeah. It's also possible he just took her here real quick before school. Because he isn't with her all day. Yeah, I think she does go to school eventually. Because he shows up at the magic box without her. Yeah. He also tries to teach her to eat ice cream. That's just not her thing. You know that. <laughs> it's just melting. She goes on to say that she had her 10th birthday right here at this carousel after they moved to Sunnydale. Her mom rented the carousel for an hour for her and all of her friends, except she hadn't made any friends yet. 
So she says Joyce, her, and Buffy wrote it by themselves over and over for the whole hour. I think this is maybe supposed to be a sweet story about Joyce, but it's just another example of how she's a shitty mom. Yeah. Like, either she didn't realize that Dawn didn't have any friends, so no one showed up to the party, or she planned the stupidest activity for someone who obviously wouldn't have friends yet. Right. I had a theory about this, though. What if, like, the monks, when they're, like, crafting all this, like, we gotta get our memories, but, like, it's just so much more work to, like, alter every person's memory that might have met her. Yeah, we can't make all these kids remember coming to this carousel party. <laughs> yeah, so, like, what if she's just not good with people her whole life? <laughs> That's so true. No one came to this party, so we don't have to implant this memory in, like, 400 people's minds. It is the monk's fault. You're right. It's not Joyce's fault. <laughs> Maybe a lot of Joyce's bad parenting was just the monks being like, all right, what if, like, Joyce just, like, didn't invite anybody? <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't have invited. To be fair, that she wouldn't have invited anyone, so we're not being lazy. Listen, we know everyone's going to love Joyce because she's got some sickness, but let's be honest, season one through four, Joyce was a bad mom. Yes. But then Dawn starts to realize that her mom's probably not going to get better. So Riley comforts her. She says she's glad Riley's there and that Buffy's glad, too. And then Riley seductively sits back all like, oh, yeah, tell me more about Buffy's thoughts because <laughs> she's not telling me. <laughs> she's like, well, she cries a lot less with you than she did with Angel because he was like this exciting, complicated vampire. She doesn't get all worked up like that over you. Push her in front of the horses, Riley. <laughs> she clearly gets her knowing the right thing to say genes from Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> Though she's got no genes from Joyce. Yeah, I know. Well, that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. But uh, anyway. Buffy goes to the magic store to ask for help finding a cure. They're like, yeah, no, that's not really a thing. Sorry, dude. I also take some issue with this, honestly, the whole like, oh, science and magic don't mix. Like, uh, it won't it'll make it worse. I kind of feel like that's bullshit. There's got to be an episode where that's not the case. I just I don't I don't believe that. There's definitely healing spells. I think they're trying to say it's like specifically because it's the brain. Well, I mean, the way Giles says it specifically, he's like, you know, these two worlds can't match. But I'm like, whatever, man. What was Adam then? He was literally both things. Right. That was his whole point. I guess season four didn't work. So maybe they're right. Then Anya lets it slip that maybe they sold a meth bomb to the big bad. They try to play this slip up off like Anya meant she broke something, which she eventually realizes and kind of awkwardly goes along with it. I'm assuming they just don't want to give Buffy any extra stress, yeah. but dying mom or not, I think they need to tell her because yeah. she's the only one that can properly deal with this. Although she can't. <laughs> yeah. Buffy's not buying this ruse anyway, and they have to tell her they sold the big bad ingredients to create a little bad. Little baddie. And then Anya quietly like mouths that it was Giles who did it. <laughs> Anya has figured out that this is the work of the Sobakites, an ancient cult of reptile worshippers. Xander's like, just once I'd like to run into a cult of bunny worshippers, which Anya doesn't like, because remember, she hates bunnies. Yeah, that's a running bit. I think it's pretty Very funny. subtle joke. Yeah. One might not have caught that watching this in real time. Yeah, she says something like, well, now I'm going to have those nightmares or something. Yeah, she's not like, remember how I hated bunnies last season in that one episode? They know Glory's trying to transmogrify a cobra, but don't know why. Buffy's like, I don't care. I'm going to go kill the cobra. I'm ready to fight Glory now. But she's not. We go to the zoo where Glory and her friend are placing a cobra into one of those snake urns. Well, they're placing something that's supposed to be a cobra. Yes. This snake looks fake immediately and only gets faker. <laughs> they begin the incantation. Buffy thinks she's catching Glory off guard, but nothing she does is really hurting her. She slams Buffy around a bunch. She throws her into the cobra cage. Dreg continues the incantation. 
and the new snake monster breaks out of its urn. I just, Buffy, Buffy the show, you're not good at reptiles. Yeah, just stop. Why do we keep doing it? Reptile boy, bad. Band candy sewer demon, bad. Mare, very bad. Who keeps pitching this? It's not suddenly going to be good. I think Joss was like, every season we got to have one giant snake. It's a penis analogy. I require it. It's like, whatever. It's not awful. It's better than the mare. But the second I see this thing, I know I don't need to worry about it beyond this episode. (laughs) They're not happy with how it looks. (laughs) They're not going to want to maintain this weird man in a suit slash poor CGI hybrid creature. Yeah. Okay. The, The suit, like the mouth doesn't close on it. So every time you see the suit, it's like, you're fake. But then you see the CGI and you're like, give me that suit back. Yeah, and it keeps switching between the two. I don't know. It's good that they don't just do a man in a suit for every single demon, I guess. But Joss wants this thing dead more than Buffy. (laughs) Joss? Yeah. I realize this is a Monster of the Week episode that's more about the character plot than the big bad plot, but I don't know. It's just stupid and not scary. Yeah, I agree. Glory loves it. She commands the snake monster to go search for the key in various holy places. Riley pops into the magic shop looking for Buffy. He's pissed they let Buffy go after Glory and the snake by herself. And Xander's like, yeah, crazy going after something you can't handle alone, Riley. And it's kind of like, what's going on with you, buddy? Why are you doing this? He's pretty forthright, but you can tell it's from a good place. Riley doesn't really answer him and leaves and heads back to his favorite bar stool where his old pal Sandy saunters up. They go back to her place? An alley? A porta potty? I don't know where they are, but I'm like, what's what's going on? They're seeming like they're gonna get intimate. I know Riley's frustrated with Buffy, but I kinda don't buy that he would cheat no matter what. Yeah. And then she starts to bite him? Again, even though it seems like he's repeatedly being told Buffy only loves vampires, he's just too much of a good boy to really stoop to that, I think. Like yeah. becoming a vampire for her. But he only lets her bite him a little. And then he stakes her in the tummy. I'm guessing that's he what stakes is... her in the tummy. Yeah. Okay. Is that wrong? Yeah. Why? Because stake in the tummy wouldn't do anything. <laughs> You're right. Well, she's very <laughs> short. He's very tall. It would be where a normal person's tummy was. She's a lot like the average man, where the way to her heart is through her stomach. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm guessing this was his plan to kill her. I'm not really sure what he was trying to accomplish. He probably could have just killed her without getting bitten. Uh, yeah. Weird. Maybe he was thinking about going vamp? But I I, I don't know. He came with a stake, so he seemed to know that was his plan. What are you doing, Riley? Weird. I don't know, man. Buffy calls Giles to tell him that she got pretty beat up by Glory and that the snake's super on the loose and so is Dawn. She's heading to the magic shop after school and they need to keep her safe and not tell her anything about Joyce. Buffy goes to be with her mom when she wakes up and they tell her the news. The snake goes to check out the carousel. I guess maybe because Dawn was there, he can smell her. I think that's the idea. Buffy goes to the magic shop to collect Dawn, and that's the snake's plan too. He breaks through the window, knocks a bookshelf onto Buffy, which she just cannot get out from under. Yeah, it's really dumb. Like, Buffy could get out of that so easily. The snake comes in, kind of just stares at Dawn while she screams in its face, and Buffy's just chilling under that bookshelf for a while. Buffy's tired, man. Maybe it's something about the magic shop. Isn't this where Angel couldn't get out from under that very light-looking door back when (laughs) he wasn't at full strength yet? Yeah. I guess Buffy was injured today. Maybe she's not at full strength. The snake leaves without Dawn. Honestly, no one stepped in to help her. 
There's like 10 seconds where this thing's just screaming at her. No one does anything. Well, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what it is. Like, is this supposed to be a snake? Is this... <laughs> is it a man or digital? It doesn't close its mouth. I don't think it's real. Willow's like, why was this snake afraid of Dawn? And Buffy kind of whispers to Giles that the snake knows. So I assume the snake is on its way to tell Glory about Dawn being the key. It slithers down Sunnydale's one street, causing chaos. Buffy runs after it. Giles grabs his car, picks up Buffy. This thing is slithery. His car? No. <laughs> the snake. They need to stop it before it gets to Glory. Glory's very mad at Dreg that the snake hasn't returned with the key yet. She mentions that she's on a schedule. So my theory is she's got limited time in this form. I, I don't know. Then the snake goes off the road into a grassy knoll. Giles has learned how to maneuver his automatic car quite well now, because when they see the snake head off, he like reverses it so Buffy can jump out and chase it. She catches up to it somehow. It's so fast. And Sarah's probably running as fast as she can, but it just would not be fast enough for how much of a head start this thing had on her. Yeah, when you see the snake moving and then it cuts to Buffy running, it's like, you're not the same speed. <laughs> it doesn't even, I mean, she's probably running as fast as she can, but it doesn't look like she's running like a sprinter. I think I've yeah. seen her run faster even. Yeah. Buffy grabs a chain, hops onto this thing's back and like chokes it out. It looks, well, they tried something. <laughs> It's like bucking all around. It's it's pretty much all digital here. I wonder if they did like Harry Potter stuff, just like green screen riding around on like a mechanical bowl. Yeah, it kind of looks like if you're watching Netflix, but like your internet connection is like slow for a minute and it takes a minute before Netflix can like catch up and it's like bad resolution. That's sort of what this looks like. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's just how it is or if they did that to like just make it look bad to cover some of it. I don't know. I do want to say that I feel like it's a cool scene concept of her like riding this thing, choking it from behind. Mm -hmm. I thought that was badass, but sadly, it doesn't look badass. He seems dead, but he ain't. He bucks her off. It's a fist fight now, and Buffy imagines he's her mom's cancer and punches it much more than she needs to. Just punch and punch and punch. I mean, the show is set up that like she needs someone to punch. Like she needs an enemy she can vanquish. Yeah. She can't vanquish cancer. We pan out to see this is all taking place outside of Glory's mansion. So he was very close to telling her. And they show her looking out the window. I don't think she can actually see it, though. I think it's just maybe just to show that she's kind of given up on waiting for the snake. Buffy's back at the hospital with her mom. Joyce says she wants to talk to Dawn alone. Riley's there. God, Buffy's deaning him so hard this episode. I know. Riley is Dean and Joyce's cancer is Logan. <laughs> Like, Riley and Dean are there. They're nice guys who are trying their best. And Buffy and Rory like having that stability and having someone to send on errands and occasionally remind their mom that they're hot. But <laughs> there's also this newer, more mysterious thing over there. Logan and <laughs> Joyce's cancer. <laughs> Riley's like, come here, baby. Let it all out. And Buffy's like, I can't. If I start crying now, I'll never stop. And mom and Dawn need me right now. And they literally do. Joyce calls Buffy into the room and she shuts the door. She doesn't say bye. And Riley just hops in his pickup truck. Joyce's cancer invites Buffy back to the pool house for drinks. <laughs> no, he just stands in the hallway like, shit, what do I do now? He's wearing a turtleneck, by the way, to hide his love bite. Yeah. I think it's Forrest's turtleneck. I think it's green. Yeah. He left a lot behind. So yeah, it's, that's, that's it. That's done. Do you think it was a good one? Um, I think it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. I feel like it was some fun plot stuff moving forward. Not fun, but Yeah, um, love the interesting. choice cancer. <laughs> no, I meant interesting plot stuff. Like, just more with Glory, found out her name. 
I like that Anya was helpful. I like when Anya's like knowledge is helpful. So was Tara. She was helpful too. It makes a lot of sense that Anya would know a ton of shit. She's like the oldest of all of them. Yeah. I really just didn't care about the monster. No, the monster looked dumb and was dumb. And as far as Riley, like, I just feel bad for him. It's, it's the same exact thing with Dean. Like, both shows are telling us we're done with them. Yeah. But we're not quite ready to say it's over yet. So then you just feel bad for them, but we don't particularly like either of them. It's frustrating because I feel like they're trying to be like, look how interesting these characters are because of all the emotional baggage right now and turmoil they're going through. But it's like, yeah, but that's not fun to watch. And I already was not having fun watching them. So now they're like doubly unpleasant to have on screen. Yeah. Yeah, There's like so much of the episode is dedicated to feeling bad for these people we didn't feel good about in the first place. Yeah. And honestly, Joyce's cancer stuff is like emotional. And I kind of... I kind of don't even love Dawn that much, but it's interesting because of the Dawn element that Buffy has to like worry about Dawn and dealing with all the stuff with her mom. Yeah. Taking care of Dawn. But I honestly don't, Buffy and her mom don't have that good of a relationship. Yeah. So to feel bad about Joyce having cancer, I I mean, I'm not trying to be like a monster, but I think if Dawn wasn't part of it, I wouldn't care as much. I don't know. I feel like the writing would make you care about it. Like, I don't not care. I'm just saying, like, they barely spoke in season four and they didn't really get along in the first few seasons. Like they didn't have a close relationship. And they never really dived. I feel like they do a little bit this season, but they don't really dive into like Joyce as a character. Like right. we see Emily as a character. We see Richard as a character. But Joyce has only really been like, how is Joyce affecting Buffy? Yeah. Not like, what is Joyce feeling right now? And they also don't have, like, an estranged enough relationship. Like, that season one episode of Gilmore Girls where Richard is in the hospital for a heart problem. Mm-hmm. Where Lorelai, though she has no, like, real emotional relationship with her dad, is, like, going through some shit. Because she's like, I am estranged from my father most of my life. And he might die. Right. Where her Buffy and her mom, like, talk. They're not, like, bad. Yeah. So it's not even, like, that kind of, oh, I have to make things right with my mom in the little time she has left. Th- those are my thoughts. So, which one do we think was better? I think it's Gilmore Girls. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's definitely Gilmore Girls. It's a big Buffy, but it's also kind of a monster of the week. I don't know. It's mixed. So I kind of feel like the next, and maybe I'm wrong, because I don't remember this that well, like individual episodes from season five, but I do feel like the next like two or three episodes, and including this one, might be like a bit of a slump. Sort of like, uh, we can't really go too much into the plot of this season yet. We got to wait. And here's some subplots to keep you going until we get, you know, this is like where in the season Xander and Willow would start to have a crush that's going to amount to nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we're in that part of the season right now. Sure. Um, so I feel like the next couple episodes are it might go to Gilmore. I don't know. I don't know. Gilmore might be the same. I don't really remember this next Gilmore. Speaking of which... If you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 5, Episode 9, Listening to Fear. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 5, Episode 9, Emily Says Hello. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Riley wanted to turn into a vampire? If you had to pick a guy from Emily and Richard's party to court, who would it be? How would you do a snake prop? Did you like TJ in this episode? Or find it too much? I mean, that's what the presets are for, right? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. 
or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, host monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to all of our new Patreon subscribers, Christina Toralbes, Seneth, and Megan Munt. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Uh, hey, my brother might be coming over later to uh, cry about his relationship with this one. Love that. Love that.